Welcome to Growth Over Easy, the podcast where we explore the depths of life with an optimistic lens. I'm your host, Lily Rachels, and I believe pain has the potential to produce more growth than happiness ever could. I teach you how to grow through grief and give you actionable tools you can start using today. It's time to choose growth over the easy path in life. Let's grow together. Welcome back to Growth Over Easy. Today I'm joined by Anton Gunn. He's a former senior advisor to President Barack Obama and the world's leading expert on socially conscious leadership. Our conversation centered around the importance of service and how if you want to find deep fulfillment in your life, you need to ask how you can serve. Welcome, Anton. Happy to be with you. So you're the world's leading expert on socially conscious leadership. Can you elaborate for me on what exactly that means and what it is? Yeah. So uh, I think it's a really important uh, concept that so many of us don't really understand or, or think about in our conscious mind. It's, it's a framework that breaks down like this. I believe that our world is unfair. And we all know it's unfair. It doesn't matter what city you're born in, what side of life you came in on. There's something about life that can feel unfair to you, even to the fact that I'm about six five and you know, a lot of people are vertically challenged and they think it's unfair that Anton is six foot five and he can easily reach on the top of any refrigerator in the cabinets above the refrigerator, right? So there's some general sense of unfairness. But when it comes to uh, what happens to people at work, when you think about people who work in a company, they experience unfairness every day. And many times the leaders in their organization are socially blind to the unfairness that's happening and what impact is having on the people that are experiencing it. And if you take it out of work, you think about everything that we do. I mean, we all kind of live our lives in our own bubbles. I mean, we we may live in a city and we don't know much about the neighboring city or we live on a certain side of town and we don't know anything about the other side of town. So we all have some blindness to things that we're unaware of. And many times, that blindness leads to us making decisions that could cause more unfairness and have a negative impact on other people that we don't know. So what I teach and believe that a leader's first responsibility is to really start to think about what do I not know that I should know? And how do I build relationships with people? How do I put myself in a position to always become more aware of the things that I don't understand. So to that example of being in a neighborhood, how do I say, you know what? I live on the east side of town. You know what? I'm going to go to the grocery store on the west side of town today, or I'm going to go to the movies on the west side of town. I want to see how other communities are experiencing the same city that I'm in and raise your conscious awareness to what's going on in a society or in a community around you. And so if you're a leader in an organization, because this is where I teach it the most, as I teach leaders that you should always know what's going on with your people. There's no excuse for you to sit in a big office in a corner building and never know what's going on on the front lines, never know what's happening to your people day to day. So you got to get up out of your comfort zone where you have the most social blindness and spend your time moving around in places that you don't frequent. It'll raise your awareness at a high level and you'll see things that you normally didn't see. And you'll pay attention to details that you didn't know were there in the first place. And it gives you a great perspective to say, okay, what's wrong in this situation that I can do something to try to make it right? And that is what a socially conscious leader does. There's never a wrong time to do the right thing because they spend their time understanding 
what's not working and what's unfair and what's broken. Wow. I love what you said there about getting outside of our bubble because not just in leadership, but at like every aspect of life, we can all mm-hmm. do that. And the simple thing you said about like, go shopping on the other side of town, see how other people are living in the same city and get outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. What led you to this line of work? Yeah. So that's a, that's a great story. Um, there's so many things, but the one I'm going to tell you about is the one that probably is the most non-conventional thing that I will say to you. And that is hip hop music is where I got my social consciousness. Now, I'm almost 50 years old, so I knew the world before hip-hop existed. I'll put it to you that way, right? And so when the music art form started, I was a young, lower-middle-class kid in Virginia, just kind of living my life, doing a lot of dumb stuff. That's the way I like to say it, is that I got in trouble with the law and then ended up going into a local record store and picking up an album by Public Enemy. It's a Hall of Fame, a rock and roll Hall of Fame group, Public Enemy, fabulous group that made a lot of politically inspired music, okay? And what Public Enemy showed me, what I didn't know, is that there is some systems and structures that have made it difficult for me to be successful as a Black man in America. That there are people who, you know, the police patrol my neighborhood five times the rate and neighborhoods on the other side of town. And why is that? So it made me ask a lot of questions and want to understand why things are the way they are. And so it really kind of lit a fire in me that no matter what it was, I wanted to understand things that I didn't know anything about. So when I was in high school, I subscribed to Publishers Clearinghouse. Now, I didn't expect Edmund Mann to come to my house and give me a $10 million check. But what I did get were massive discounts on magazines that a young black kid from, you know, suburban Virginia would never be reading, like Better Homes and Gardens and Popular Science and you know, I'm reading Reader's Digest. So I'm like consuming information about lives and experiences and things that I have no reason to want to know about. But I was so pricked to understand things that I just thought I saw, but didn't see that it kind of opened this door for me to spend my entire life surrounding myself with people who are different than me, really understanding people's perspective. I grew up a Christian and I'm a Christian. I love Jesus Christ, but I've been to more mosques and synagogues than you can probably count on your fingers and toes. And I've met with people from different faiths and different backgrounds and different political persuasions because it gives me some understanding of how other people see the world. And that makes me a better leader and makes it easier for me to serve them. I like what you just said about understanding how other people see the world and view the world. Because I've seen this before where it's like so many people can be scared of like, what they don't know. Or mm-hmm. like you said mm-hmm. about being a Christian, I know yeah. Christians that would never set foot in, you know, a master yeah. a mosque or a synagogue because yeah. they're like, I just don't agree with it. Yeah. And because they don't agree with something, it's almost like they're afraid of it. What would yes. you say to someone struggling with that? Yeah. So I would say first, fear is natural. Uh, one of my favorite hip hop philosophers is Nas and he has a song called Hate Me Now. And he has a lyric that says, People fear what they don't understand, hate what they can't conquer. And that's just a theory of man. So it's a natural inclination to be afraid of something that you don't know. I mean, like, that's why we're all afraid of the dark when we're younger, because we don't know what's in the dark. We can't see what's in the dark. So it's natural to be afraid. But I want you to understand what courage is. Courage is not the absence of fear. Don't ever let anybody tell you that courage is uh, not being afraid. You know, I'm afraid every day, but courage is being afraid and doing it anyway. 
You know, the first time I walked into a synagogue, I was afraid. I was afraid that I was going to say the wrong thing, sit in the wrong place, that they were going to throw me out because I wasn't Jewish and because I didn't, uh, you know, have on the, the right attire. But what I found is that they welcomed me right in and asked me why did I came. And I said, I came to learn. And they said, well, let me explain to you how we do our services. And so they started to break down the things that I didn't understand to make it easier for me to understand. And when they did that, I got a comfort level. The fear started to subside and go away. And it just became uh, something that was you know, more comfortable. And then what I didn't know is how many different types of synagogues there are. You got traditional Orthodox synagogues and some that are really like casual that are no different than me going to my contemporary non-denominational Christian church where people wear jeans and, and t-shirts and the sermon is casual and it's about things that we care about. And it's just a different way of worshiping. So for everybody who's afraid, just know fear is normal. But I, my three-step process would be is to try to read up on things that you don't understand first and to try to take that internal fear level down a little bit before you step out and do something. But there's still always going to be a fear of engaging uh, someone that is different than you and engaging in a different community, but do it anyway. Do it anyway. And the more times you do it, the less fearful you become, the more comfortable you become, and the more that you'll learn. And to use your example, when you talked about people who are Christian who would never go to a mosque or synagogue, it's not only that they're afraid sometimes, but they get told a story about those places. That literally, um, I had a friend of mine who who married somebody who was Jewish. She grew up Christian. She grew up in the state of Kentucky, and she married a Jewish man living in New York City. And her mother told her every day when she told her she was getting married that she was going to hell. And that, and that if she doesn't raise her kids as Christians, they're going to hell too. And so her mom has this irrational fear and this strong belief that because someone worships differently, that they won't have an opportunity to enjoy the blessings of an afterlife, whoever their creator, with their creator. And so those things that stories that we get told by other people can paralyze us. It can really narrow our, our framework. And uh, the greatest ones, the greatest leaders that we know, the ones who are willing to listen and learn and understand, not change your beliefs, not change your foundation, but sometimes things will change when you understand, but other times they will reinforce the beliefs that you already have. But you lose nothing by growing and learning and sharing and surrounding yourself with people who are different and seeing how other people experience the world. That is what the greatest leaders do. And that's a trait called curiosity. I love what you said about being open to learn when he, you know, asked why you were there. And that's something that I'm not sure is, was it something that came naturally to you or is that something that you learned? Cause I know you mentioned the magazines and you were mm -hmm. absorbing a lot of information yeah. as a younger kid. Why do you think you had that hunger? You know, I'll chalk it up to being the son of a school teacher. So my mom was a public school teacher. She taught elementary school for, you know, roughly 20 plus years and then spent about 10 or 12 years as a principal. So in our home, one of the things that we always had was a set of encyclopedias. And so my brothers and I started reading at an early age. And so we would read everything and it didn't matter what it was. I mean, it could be story in a botanical about ancient Greece, or it could be something about, you know, Mesopotamia, or it could be something focused on the history of engineering and building buildings. We would just read stuff. And so for me, I just found it empowering 
that I could meet with people and spit facts about things that people didn't know. Like I'm the guy who watches Jeopardy at 7.30 on a regular basis as a teenager. Now, like I'm 18, 19 at home watching Jeopardy. Why? Because I want to see how many answers I can get. So that's where it kind of came from. It was some competitiveness to it to see how much more I could learn more than my brother. But in general, I'm addicted to learning and I have an insatiable appetite for consuming new information because again, I like to get information and figure out how I can use it to help someone. Um, that is kind of the, the foundation of, of who I am as a person is serving first. And, and I believe that if I know more, then maybe that's somebody that I can help because I learned this information. And that's just, you know, how I, I've been. And I, I'll chalk it up to my mom being a school teacher. That's awesome. Good for mom. I think that that's something missing in today's society, what you mentioned about service. Yeah. We have kind of, you know, everyone calls the like latest generation, like a me generation mm-hmm. focused mm-hmm. on myself. And we've been fed that even in the personal development world to follow your bliss, take care of yourself. You know, you're yep. the star of your life. Yeah. What would you say to a world that's like stuck like that? Because you mentioned the service piece. Yeah. So I'll say this and I'll sum it up in a quote the greatest amongst you will be your servant. And my context, that's a a scriptural thing from the Bible, but I'll take it out of the scripture and tell you something that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, that anybody can be great because everyone can serve. And it was this concept of understanding that you really do reach your highest bliss. You reach your highest state of development, if you will, if you figure out how useful you can be to other people. That, you know, your personal development is about you, but it's about you in helping other people and serving other people. And, and I kind of grew up in that kind of family. I told you my mom was a teacher, right? But my dad was in the military and his dad was in the military and my uncle was in the military and my great grandfather was in the military and my brother served in the military. So I came from a family of men who put on a uniform to serve other people, to protect and serve our nation. And they did a job that many times they didn't want to do, but they knew that it was bigger than them. And I think when you understand that your life and your role on this planet is much bigger than just your personal needs and and what you care about, it is about being impactful in this world. And another quote that I'll kind of sum up uh, is Dr. Miles Monroe, who says, success without a successor is a failure. And that to me means if we don't use our gifts, our talents, our knowledge, our position of leadership in this world to make it better for those that come along after us, we might be successful in life, but we will never be significant. And we should chase significance. And I think the greatest way to be significant is to serve other people, is to find a way to make a difference in the lives of those around you, your family, your children, but even your community. I mean, how are you involved in, in the area in which you live, the neighborhood that you live, the city that you live? I mean, there's so many ways that we can serve and we all have gifts. We all have some uniqueness about us that comes easy to us that other people say, man, you're very gifted in that. How do we use those talents to make something better for someone else? That's the highest and best use of us as a human being. And that's what I believe. And and we got to get back to that and and stop focusing on us, only on us and on our needs. Yeah, self-preservation is an instinct that we all have. And yeah, you want to preserve your life and preserve your health. But 
What is that for? Why do you want to be healthy? Why do you want to live a long life? Is it just to amass a fortune for yourself? Or do you want to make a big difference? And if you are the latter rather than the former, you will achieve the significance and the success that you want by focusing on service. When you go in and work with companies coming from this servant's heart, really, mm-hmm. what do you get as like a reaction when they first meet you and you go in to kind of like consult a company? Yeah. So um, usually I come in because they know they got a problem. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the hardest thing in the world to do is to help someone who doesn't know that they need help and doesn't want help. And so I never try to, you know, put myself onto people unless they want the support and want to change. But most organizations know that they have something wrong, but many times they don't know what it is. And so I don't start my framework of teaching and training on, on leadership and service until I fully understand their problem, because I really do believe that it's hard to help people when you don't know what they need help with. And if you don't know what they need help with, you got to ask them. That's the main thing is to ask them. So we spend some time dissecting what they think the problem is and what do they think they're dealing with and what's the pain of that problem? What is it costing them? You know, are they having high turnover rates? Are they seeing leaders quit? Um, is it a toxic workplace culture? Are people, you know, feeling like they've been treated unfair? Whatever it is, once we understand it, I tell them the first thing we need to do, if you want to turn this organization around, you have to understand the foundations of leadership. And that is service. And that it's hard to serve people that you don't know. And it's hard to know people if you don't care about them and vice versa. So I help leaders in those organizations understand your job is to get to know the people that you lead. What's important to them? What matters to them? What inspires them? What makes them tick? What pisses them off? What's the best thing about this job for them? And what's the worst thing about the job? And once you understand that, your responsibility is to lead in a way that removes all obstacles, that shows them every day that you care about them as a person, not just about them being successful at work, but you care about who they are and what's important to them. And that when they are struggling to get a job done because they don't have the tools, they don't have the information, they don't have the resources, your job as a leader is to give them the tools, the information and the resources, equip them so they can be successful because nobody shows up to work every day not wanting to be successful. Everybody wants to win. So if I'm not winning, what are you doing to help me, to serve me so that I can win? And if they do that, that becomes the foundation of building an organization that's full of trust, of productivity and success. And so I think it connects with people like, I mean, what I just said is not rocket science. We all know that, right? I didn't, you know, this didn't come from manna on heaven and, and, you know, came to me and nobody else has it, right? We all want good service. I mean, if you go to Chick-fil-A, right, you want great service, right? If you go to Starbucks, you want to make sure that they spell your name right on the side of your cup, right? If you go to Best Buy and your computer's not working, you want the geek squad to get it right. We all want great service. And the companies that become legendary, the ones they remember are the ones that serve the best. And so the ones that are serving their customers the best, my question is, how are they serving their employees? How are they serving the community in which the company sits and the surrounding communities? So I try to get people back to a framework that if you focus on service, it'll matter to you. And they respond positively when they understand the foundation of the framework. But again, if they don't want the help at all, then lots of luck to them. I'll move on and go work with somebody (laughs) who wants to get better. I'm not trying to 
force a square peg into a round hole. Never will do that. Well, as you said, it's hard to help people that don't know that they have a problem. Yeah. So not everyone in their career may be in a leadership position, but I believe everybody has some sort of leadership role Mm -hmm. in their life and a place to serve. How could you see someone using these same principles in, say, their family or relationship? Yeah. So that's a great uh, qualifier that you put out there. Uh, Everybody may not be in a leadership role, but they are leaders. I fundamentally believe no matter where you sit, you're a leader. You might just lead yourself or you might lead a family. You might lead a community or or in any aspect. So here's what I would say to a person um, as you think about your family, you think about your kids, your spouse. And these are lessons that I'm learning and growing in every day. There are three fundamental questions that every person is asking every day of their life. And they ask these questions to the people that they interact with. And they'll never verbalize these questions. These are questions These are what I call subconscious subliminal questions that you could imagine that when you see them, they have on a t-shirt that has these three questions. And question number one is, do you care about me? Question number two is, will you help me? And question number three is, can I trust you? So if you're a parent, and your kid comes into the room at 1 a.m. in the morning because they have an earache. Just imagine they got on a shirt that says, mommy, dad, do you care about me? And they don't want to just hear yes and you to roll over and go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. They want you to show them that you care about them. And my ear hurts. Will you help me? So would you give them something for the earache or take them to the doctor the next day? They want help. And if you care about them repeatedly and show them that, And if you help them repeatedly and show them that, that is how you build trust over time. And we do that with our family members, with our friends, our coworkers. Nobody wants a friend that doesn't care about them. Nobody wants a friend that won't help them in a pinch with their car breaks down and they need a ride to work or um, they need extra $50 to get out of a jam. Everybody wants a friend who's willing to help. And so you can apply this in the personal from your family and friends. And this is what I train leaders to apply in the workplace, that your employees and your customers are asking, do you care about me? Will you help me? And can I trust you? And the leaders in the organizations, the employees in an organization that shows the customers that we care about you, that we're here to help you to be successful. If you do that repeatedly, it's how you build trust. And if we start to think about all of the brands, all of the places where we go and shop and the things that we do, we're asking those three questions every time we walk in the door. And if they ever let us down, we're quick to say, I'm never coming back here because they didn't care about me enough to even get my order right for the last three times that I come. They didn't care about me enough to take care of my clothes at the dry cleaners and my favorite pants are now torn because they didn't care about me and my clothing to take care of it. This is a lens for everything. So No matter who you are, you can use those three questions to evaluate how you engage and treat other people. I like that. Do you care about me? Will you help me? And can I trust you? And I believe, especially when it comes to relationships, that relationships that are on the rocks, that when you're in a time of struggling, if we would cultivate that servant's heart and do those three things, it's amazing just how the atmosphere can change within the relationship. Yes, without a doubt. It's all work though, you know, so that's the thing. Again, those three questions are simple, um, but it's not easy. It's really not easy. I mean, because, you know, you got to do this every day. You got to have the heart to serve and the heart to try to make a difference and the heart to to overcome your own insecurities and your own fears and 
and feeling neglected because again, you're also asking these questions. So you could be pouring out to a partner or a spouse or someone, showing them that you care about them, showing them that you're willing to help them, showing them that they can trust you and you don't feel like they're doing the same things to you and it can make you want to give up. But you got to maintain the servant's heart and recognize that the more you serve, the more it changes people. The more you help other people, the more they change and they will reciprocate that help. And so it's something that we all got to learn. And, and particularly for those who are married or, or partners or in, in committed relationships, one of the best things you can do is to reread the five love languages. I usually don't give plugs for everybody else's book, <laughs> but uh, I just really read reread that one um, this past month. And it reminded me that I got to focus on my wife's love language. I've been married 22 years. And her love language is different than mine. So I got to serve her by focusing on the love language that's important to her, even if it's not mine. That's what my responsibility is. And, and that's what I should be doing as a leader. If I'm in any aspect of society is to understand what people care about and what they need help with and to provide that caring and that help. And that's how you have a big impact. What do you do to support yourself in those situations where you are serving and you're giving that maybe you're not getting anything back or mm-hmm. the people you're helping aren't moving forward. Like, what mm-hmm. do you do to support yourself? My simple framework is be grateful, uh, gratitude around that you're, you have the ability to help, that everybody doesn't have the ability to help. And I take care of myself by really focusing on other people. And I didn't talk about this earlier, but I want to share it. I had a massive tragedy in my life early on. So I was 27 years old. And my younger brother, Sharon, was killed by two Al-Qaeda suicide bombers in a terrorist attack. And um, coming from a military family, I have four generations of men who served in wars, but they all came home. Yet during peacetime in 2000, two suicide bombers took a boat alongside my brother's ship and blew a 40 by 60 foot hole, killing him and 16 of his shipmates during peacetime. And it devastated me. I wanted to give up on the entire world because of it. I wanted to just, just like, was, there's no point of, of trying to do anything when bad things like this happen. And nobody would have blamed me for going into a shell and just focusing on myself and my family. But I recognized that my brother died serving. And that's the noblest way for him to leave this earth is in service to others. And so I made a decision that I would serve in his honor. And when I started to help other people who were in more pain or difficult circumstances than I was, I found that my healing prospered, that I actually felt better because I could do something to help other people. And so whether it gets reciprocated to me, I'm not doing it for rewards. I'm not doing it for recognition. I'm not even doing it for you to give me a high five and pat me on the back for doing the job. I'm doing it because I care about you. And that is the most um, empowering part of service for me is just making a difference and being grateful that I have the ability to do something that makes a difference for other people. Thank you for sharing that story. I can't imagine the pain that came with finding that out. And like you said, having so many great men in your family who had served and come Mm -hmm. home. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah, it was hard. And, you know, and it wasn't just me that found this silver lining for service. My mother, who retired as a school principal uh, after my brother was killed, she just couldn't continue to, you know, be involved in that capacity. But she got involved as a volunteer 
with the American Gold Star Mothers, which is other moms who lost sons and daughters in service to the military. Uh, she would rise to become the president of the association, the first uh, African-American president in the organization's 92-year history. And they spend their time. These are moms who lost sons or daughters in service to our country, and they all spend their time serving veterans. They serve the people that came home. I mean, think about that. You lose your child and you commit yourself to an organization whose mission is to serve those veterans that came home. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad was in the Navy and um, retired as a disabled vet, but he spent the rest of his career serving other disabled vets, helping them to get their benefits, helping them to to be made as whole as possible. And so no matter what wrong we went through, whatever unfairness we experienced as a family, we recognized that our role was to do something to try to make it right for other people. And that is the most noblest framework of service is doing something to make it right. And what you said about your brother, the most noble way to go out of this world is in service. And I think it's beautiful that it's not just you, but your entire family found a place of service through that. And like you said, nobody would have judged you for shutting down and kind of saying, screw it. Like the world sucks. But instead you decided that, no, I'm going to keep serving. Yeah. And I think, you know, in this era of mental health, where, where so many people are dealing with depression and anxiety and, and all kinds of challenges, I can't blame people for saying, screw it. Just, you know, I'm going to focus only on me because your mental health is just as important as your physical health. But if you have the ability to make a difference, I'm telling you, your body and brain has a physiological positive response when you serve other people. Like you feel better because you were able to plant a tree or um, walk someone's dog for them, or maybe babysit a kid or, or just clean up your neighborhood. I mean, there's a positive benefit to the things that we do in service to other people. And again, it's one of the noblest things you can do is to serve. And uh, I'm just grateful that I have that perspective and I hope other people gain it too. I'm grateful that you have it as well. And you're so willing to share it. The last question I ask all my guests It's called Growth Over Easy, and Mm -hmm. the podcast is about choosing growth instead of the easy path in life. So what does growth mean to you? Uh, Growth, that's, that's a great question. I would say growth is going through adversity and recognizing how you have improved because of that adversity. Like again, I lost my brother in a terrorist attack. I can't think of any greater adversity that I could have experienced. But I will tell you right now, you would not be interviewing me on this podcast. You wouldn't have any idea who I am. None of my clients would know who I am. I would not be a speaker or a consultant today had I not gone through that adversity. I wouldn't be. I would have been a different person doing something totally different. But because I went through that adversity and I recognized that by serving other people, I had some skills that I wasn't using before that I had some insights and some perspectives that I wasn't providing before. All of that, what I call useless information that I had gathered as a teenager in other years, that actually helped some organizations and helped people to overcome challenges that they have. And so my greatest superpower was revealed in that adversity. And so I say to me, growth is recognizing how you've gotten better because you've gone through the challenge. And it really requires you to reflect. I'll close with this. How we don't grow is when we move from challenge to challenge and never take time to reflect 
on the experience. And that reflection time is so critical to think about what did I learn from this? What did I do well? What mistakes did I make? If I was facing the same circumstance again, what would I do differently? Is there anything I would do differently? And that reflection period is where the growth actually happens. It's not necessarily when you're going through it because the pain of going through it is just hard, but it's after you get to some kind of stopping point or you get past that piece of adversity. Do you take time to reflect and to think about the who, what, where, when, why of what happened and your role in it? That's where the growth happens. I love the way you just shared that because that hit really like hit home for me because I know there's been times in my life where the pain has come and my immediate reaction is, well, how am I going to like be better? How and never like giving yourself that time to like, no, let the pain come, Mm. let the pain feel, let it happen. Mm. And then when you're on the other side of the pain, that's when you like take a step back and reflect on it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's it. That's the goal of life is that We're all going to go through some adversity, some of us more than others, but we're all going to face something, right? And so when we go through that, how do we get to where the pain is not as acute and we can take the opportunity to recalibrate, assess, reflect, and to figure out, okay, how do we move up from here? And what do I got to do to move up? And what did I do well in the midst of the pain? I mean, there's always something to learn. Anton, thank you so much for your time. I know after listening to this, people are going to want to know where to find you and what you're up to. So do you mind giving us all that information? Sure. I'm sure happy to do so. Um, The home is antongun.com. That's where you can find me. But I'm on all social platforms, uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, IG. You can find me at Anton J. Gunn. So please drop me a note, connect with me, let me know that you heard this podcast. And I would love to help you in any way that I can. I would love to serve. Thank you. Yeah. And there will be links to that in the show notes if you want to explore more. And Anton has a book that he's written that I've read. If you want to plug that, I'm going to put a link to that in an Amazon link to that in the show notes as well. Yes, sure. So my book is titled The Presidential Principles, How to Inspire Action and Create a Lasting Impact. I talk a whole lot about service in that book. That's the prerequisite of leadership. So if you're interested in improving yourself as a leader and knowing how you can inspire other people to action and have a lasting impact. I want you to hear about the lessons that I learned from five U.S. presidents. And yes, I'm one of those privileged people who can say I've met multiple presidents and engaged them and learned some powerful lessons, both positive and negative from all of them. So Presidential Principles is the title of the book and you can get it at Amazon. And uh, I'd be happy to have you get a copy and give me a review and, and tell me what you think of it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anton. Have a great day. That's it for this episode of Growth Over Easy. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Also, make sure to link up with me at lilyrachels.com. I'm Lily Rachels across all social platforms. Please just share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit. Until next time, remember, easy is empty, growth is gold.